Assurance of Pardon is sponsored by Logos Bible Software, the most advanced Bible study tool for both ministers and laypeople. Available on iOS and Android for phones and tablets, as well as on your Windows or Mac computer or laptop. Get the most of your time in the scriptures with Logos Bible Software. For more information and 15% off your next Logos package plus five free ebooks, visit assuranceofpardon.com slash logos. Now on with the show. Welcome to Assurance of Pardon, a podcast about the gospel, the Bible, the church, what it all means and why it all matters. I'm Scott Davis, pastor of Hope Presbyterian Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. And I'm Gage Jordan, assistant pastor of youth and families at First Presbyterian Dyersburg in Dyersburg, Tennessee. And as of mm-hmm. uh, in, on October 9th, I'll be lead pastor of First Presbyterian uh, Dyersburg in Dyersburg, Tennessee. Man, that's exciting. I'm looking forward to traveling up to uh, beautiful Dyersburg and, um, on October the 9th and participating in your installation service. So uh, I was had the joy of preaching your ordination service. And uh, and now we will have the, the our polity requires a service for you to be uh, formally installed as the senior pastor. So that's super exciting, and I'm looking forward to to uh, to being a part of that. Absolutely, brother. We're looking forward to hanging out with you. Um, well, hey, before we, I know that everybody who is a, a listener to the podcast hears that little pre-roll uh, ad at the beginning of every single episode for Logos Bible Software. They are our sole sponsor uh, on Assurance of Pardon, and so everybody hears that exact thing. But I wanted to throw out there a uh, a particular book review of a particular commentary that the folks at Logos have sent over for me to review, and I'm in the process here at Hope Presbyterian of preaching through the book of 1 Corinthians. And so uh, what that process looks like, Gage, you know, as a as a pastor, when you're starting up to preach through a new book, as you have the sort of uh, on-ramp phase of gathering the commentaries that you're going to primarily lean on uh, as you're preaching through a book. And one of the ways, uh, you know, Gage, that we kind of do that is our friends at Ligonier Ministries have a top five commentaries on every book of the Bible on their website, which is That's a right. wonderful, wonderful resource. And um, maybe some of you have been there. So if you're looking at studying a Bible, you can go on there. And Keith Matheson, who's a Ligonier fellow, um, has has helpfully gone through. And there's so 66 different pages uh, on these are the top five commentaries. These are the honorable mentions. Uh, and they're all on the pretty scholarly side. They're not necessarily on a popular level, but if you are uh, a, a pastor and you want some commentaries that are going to interact with the original Greek and Hebrew, then these are what you want. Uh, and one of the things that you find when you're buying a commentary is that they're expensive. They're not. They're not <laughs> right. cheap. They're they're right. not cheap. They are definitely an investment. Uh, and so one of the ones, uh, Gage, as we were, as I was looking at it, is is a is by Anthony Thistleton, and it's in the New International Greek uh, Testament commentary. His commentary on uh, Paul's first epistle to the Corinthians, and it's an expensive book. Uh, I, I, to buy it hardcover from Amazon is eighty dollars, seventy nine dollars and seventy three cents. Um, you think, oh well, the Kindle will be much cheaper. No, it's not. It's $65 
for the Kindle version, not inexpensive. So let, let me say that at the onset. So you might say, well, what about the Logos copy? Uh, um, and why would I get the Logos copy instead of the Amazon copy? Uh, the Logos copy of this book sells for $68.99, so slightly more expensive than the Amazon copy. But why does that matter? And is it worth the extra three or four dollars for the Logos copy? And the short answer is it is definitely worth it because one of the wonderful features of commentaries that you browse within the Logos software is they are all indexed to your passage study guide. That's right. So that so that if I am if I go to Logos software and I type in First Corinthians chapter one, the first thing that drops down is open a passage study guide for that. Mm -hmm. And when I click on that, it's going to open up all of my resources in all of my library. It's going to have it there. And so I can immediately click on I, I can see on the left hand side pane under resources all the commentaries i own that have something to say about first corinthians chapter one that's right and i can click on them and it's going to take me directly there that's not something i can do in any of the kindle uh, um, software with that sort of ease and i can look at all of that in there and so with that said i want to encourage uh, I want to, this is a, not only a review of Thistleton's work on uh, his commentary on 1 Corinthians from the, the New International Greek Testament commentary series. This is just uh, a, 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 us giving you a little bit more detail about how we interact with these commentaries in the software. That's right. And and that's every time it's, it's my turn to preach. Um, that's how that process goes. The first thing I do and open up my Logos Bible software is uh, setting up your, your layout, right? And so my layout is uh, left and right side. My scripture is in the top right corner. I may have two or three different translations that I'll use in including um, Metzger's textual criticism. So that's the, the, the Greek insights there on his textual critical commentary. Uh, the, the bottom though, are all of my commentaries on the passage I'm going to be preaching on. And the beautiful thing about that is when you type in, you know, let's say I'm going to preach a sermon on Ephesians 1. So I'll type in Ephesians 1, and then I'm going to create two guides. I'm going to create that passage guide that you talked about and the exegetical guide. The reason I'm doing the exegetical guide is because it's going to have the original language broken down verse by verse. So I can deal right. with, with each individual adjective, each individual article, the verbs, I can get, in, get into all the, all the specifics. But then the passage guide is going to have a list of all the commentaries in Ephesians. And then I can pull over the the three, four, five that I'm gonna gonna consult and deal with. Uh, and it saves a ton of time. And let's say for for some reason uh, I need to be out and about. I got to take a couple of coffee meetings to meet with people, counsel people, and I need to try to in between my meeting times do some summer prep. I don't really have the ability with some of these commentaries, because we're talking five, six, seven, 800 page commentaries sometimes, right? I don't have the ability to carry eight <laughs> to 10 books in, in with me, you know, even, even if I got a cross CrossFit membership, like Michael, our buddy would want, want us to. And we know, cause he tells us every week, that's how, you know, he does CrossFit. He tells you, but um, if we carried all that with us all the time, we, we, we'd look crazy. So I can have the ability just to take my iPad, my phone, my laptop, take it into the coffee shop with me, meet, meet with my, my members, uh, 
get get together with other pastors, strategize it. And then in between those meetings, I can pull my laptop up and boom, there is my full library of resources to be able to do all the research that's necessary and, and really dig into the text. We highly recommend it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that, folks, that's your uh, more expanded uh, uh, advertisement for our friends at Logos Bible Software. And you can go to assuranceofpardon.com slash Logos for a special rate and some special deals for our listeners. But Gage, this uh, this morning we are talking about uh, Ligonier's State of Theology Report, which is uh, a thing that they put out every, every other year, I believe, uh, where they have... Um, partnered with LifeWay Research to survey Americans, find out whether they are, they are you an American generically or are you an American who identifies as an evangelical? That's right. And looking at w- what Americans believe and what evangelical Americans believe. And so we're going to, we're going to talk about this survey. It has some good stuff and some bad stuff it has some encouraging stuff and some stuff that makes you, uh, raise an eyebrow or scratch your chin saying, why in the world would somebody say that? But um, we are not going to unpack and talk about every single part of it, but we are going to look at a few things about what uh, what Americans believe about the Bible and evangelicals believe about the Bible. And so um, we are going to put a link in the show notes to this survey so that you can peruse it and they've got a data explorer where you can get in there and say i just want to look at uh, people within this age range or this ethnicity that lived in this part of the country and you can you can drill down and get uh information about even you know your part of the country your demographic uh uh, your gender all, all sorts of they've got it they've got it um um set so you can look at it as six ways to sunday as they say but um but Gage, uh, uh, just to kind of jump into here, uh, we're looking at the executive. Uh, we're looking at the executive summary here, and um, as I look at belief about God, it says that sixty-seven percent agree that God accepts the worship of all religions, mm. including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. Nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> um, and that's actually before we even dig into that. We got to define what an evangelical is, right? So, so to, to this whole report, um, it's going to tell you, like you mentioned, this is what the average American that we survey believes. This is what someone that professes to be an evangelical believes, and it's going to show you both and. But we've got to define what an evangelical actually is, right? And so, you know, there's evangelicals in the political world um, that's a voting ba- base all into itself. Um, and then there's evangelicals in the Christian world. Um, Mm -hmm. and you know, a hundred, a hundred years ago, uh, what it meant to be an evangelical during the, the, the John Stott, J.I. Packer, even Billy Graham days, um, are not the same thing as what it means to be an evangelical. Now the evangelical at, at one point in time, uh, meant that you know you were evangelizing, you being evangelical um, uh, towards uh, the world based off of um, trust and belief in Jesus Christ and His finished work on the cross. But it also meant that you held to a few fundamentals of the faith, right? Right. That, that fundamentalism actually uh, is now a derogatory term, right? It, it's a it's a bad term. But at one point in time. 
to be a, a fundamentalist meant that you believed in the uh, inerrancy of Scripture. That Scripture was 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 true in all that it teaches. That that you believed in uh, the deity of Jesus. That you believed in the uh, virgin birth. That you believed in the bodily um, and physical return of Jesus. Th- things like that. At now, there's a little bit more loose definition, wouldn't you? And that that's going to kind of define some of these questions. Yeah, I, uh, the, the the term evangelical, unfortunately, in America today, um, for most folks, when they hear the term evangelical, they attach political viewpoints to it, right? They they say it's a evangelical is a is a a type of Republican mm-hmm. is is something that you run across quite often. So I I oftentimes don't use the term evangelical um, when I'm talking about theological categories, not because I don't believe in it, but because I don't want to accidentally communicate more what I'm, something I'm not intending to communicate. That's right. So as if you ask somebody what is an evangelical off the street, they're going to they're going to immediately go, well it's a it's a religious republican or it's a it's a, they're going to they're going That's to right. uh, think of it in political categories mm-hmm. and not in in uh theological categories. So it's it's a word that unfortunately over time has gotten watered down. Well, and, just, and even or just even misinterpreted. In, that's right. And even in this, um, Lifeway gives a definition at the bottom of this report on yeah. how they de- they defined what an evangelical is. And and I want to kind of offer some pushback just a tad bit because I feel like their definition wasn't specific enough. It was still even kind of broad in terms of uh, an evangelical is anybody that that believes uh, in uh, the the teachings of Jesus, th- things like that. H- however. Going back to this first statement you introduced, three, God accepts mm-hmm. the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. Now, the reason I said nope isn't just to be a contrarian to what you have to say, Scott. It's because the scriptures actually tell us this isn't true. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. That's an exclusive statement. That's an absolute statement. Two things that our culture can't handle. But specifically to this statement, the re- if we believe that is true, then we can't embrace Judaism because Judaism would not believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that nobody can can come to the Father except through Jesus, right? They actually would reject Jesus as the Messiah, Right. So that and that's a big tenet of Jude. Even even modern day Judaism would reject Jesus as the Messiah. Our right. fri- our, fri- our Muslim friend friends in Islam would reject Jesus as the one true prophet. They would think Muhammad is the one true prophet. They, of course, have a section in the Quran that talks about Jesus. But if you press uh, Muslims on what they believe about Jesus, some of them don't believe Jesus actually died on the cross. Some right. some, some believe he just, they believe in the swoon theory, that he just passed out and that he woke up later. Some, I had a co-worker that was Muslim. Uh, he believed, uh, and others that I had had breakfast and coffee and, and lunches with over time, time, by their own profession, they believe that there was this weird thing that happened where... Um, God can't die, so some the the spirit spirit in Jesus, the deity left, and some other spirit went into his body in order to die because God can't die, right? But 
but they would re- reject the teachings of the scriptures and the teaching of Jesus. So then it's not possible for God to then accept the worship of, of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, if Jesus is the, the way, the truth, and life. And if, going back to John 4 um, and the woman on the well, if the God is a spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Yeah. Uh, so we, we said that what 67% of Americans uh, responded that God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. Um, so you say, well, the, then do people who, who identify as evangelicals, are they, do they do well in that? And the answer is not really. They, they are uh, 56%. So more than half of people who identify as evangelicals hold a view that's not evangelical. That's right. So they're, they're, they're just a few points better than, than uh, non-evangelicals. Uh, so uh, again, that's troubling. That's troubling that it's you have people who, who believe themselves to be an evangelical Christian. And yet they, they hold views that, that, uh, uh, that are completely, uh, um, completely problematic. Um, uh, you know, another one. Another one we see is that uh, Americans say fifty-five percent agree that Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. Mm-mm. Why is that problematic, Scott? Well, because Jesus is not a created being. That's right. Jesus is not a created being because if he is a created being, then he's not God. Um, in the beginning was the God was in the begin in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And, and so there's never a time, this is what is hard for people to wrap their brain around. There's never a time when Jesus was not the son of God. That's right. Right. There's a, a, your daughter. There was a time when she was not your daughter because she was not in existence yet. Um, that's not, he, when we say he's the eternally begotten son of God, he's always been God's son. There's never a time when there was some sort of pregnancy phase or preconception phase. He is an uncreated being. And so for you to say that Jesus is created by God is to say he's not God. He's not the son of God. Mm-hmm. And and that's the thing. We don't, even as Presbyterians, um, we don't have to go to our confessions to answer these questions. We can go straight to the text. You mentioned John 1. Um, all throughout the Gospel of John, there are these I am statements. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the door. I am the great shepherd. I, you know, uh, Jesus even specifically says, before Abraham was, I am. Let's be real clear. They tore their garments and, and chanted, crucify him, not because he was just a good teacher, because Jesus claimed to be God, and if he's God, then he's never he's never been created. And 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 to give benefit of the doubt, there may be some that would read like a Colossians one, right? Uh, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, and think, okay, cool, that must mean he was the firstborn of all the things that that, that God created. But if he's created, that doesn't make him the creator. Therefore, he can't be God. This firstborn is a position, not a firstborn like um, Ayla is the firstborn of potential future Jordans. Yeah. And and so you say uh, 50, what do we say? Uh, 55% of Americans believe Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. What percentage of evangelicals think that Jesus was created by God? And the answer is 
strongly agree 70 percent somewhat agree 73 somewhat agree three percent so 73 percent of people who identify as evangelicals think that jesus is a created being which what that means is that 73 percent of american evangelicals hold a view that's consistent with jehovah's witnesses that's right that's heretical it's heresy right it's it's actually condemned there was a whole church council on jesus being the same substance with god the father who is eternal um we actually we dealt with this in the third century. This shouldn't shouldn't be new. Here, here's the thing: as a pastor, Scott, when I when I read that last night doing some research, here's where that hits me. There's a potential that seven out of ten people that come into an, a church on a Sunday in American Christianity believe that Jesus was created mm-hmm. uh, and believe something that we actually, I mean, Athanasius and others dealt with already, and that cults like Jehovah's Witness believe. Uh, yeah. And that's that's heartbreaking to me. That's that's sobering that, you know, honestly, I think about when the Apostle Paul says, hey, I'd love to move on to other things and 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 to to ad- advance, but you still need to be taught the basics. And, and exactly it makes right. me kind of it, it makes me kind of go okay that's going to change the way I preach if I need to back up and deal with teaching my people that Jesus was not created I am happy to do that but maybe I thought we were further along than we actually are yeah uh, um, question statement number seven uh, true or false Jesus was a great teacher but he was not God again this goes to to what we were talking about is Jesus a created being or is he God and so um, We've got, let's see, 31 and 22, so 53% of Americans would say Jesus is a, a, a good teacher, but he's not mm-hmm. God, 53%. How do evangelicals do on that? And the answer is evangelicals, uh, 43%, 43%, almost mm-hmm. half, 43% of evangelicals believe Jesus was a great teacher, but was not God. Again, Jesus made claims when when Jesus forgave sins mm-hmm. he's claiming to be God he's claiming the sins are against him right. read, read the story uh, of the paralytic who's lowered through the roof and Jesus looks at him and says your sins are forgiven and then the the Pharisees thought he's blasphemy who can forgive sins but God alone that's right and then Jesus Jesus so when when Jesus is claiming to forgive people's sins he's claiming that they're against him yeah, this is what C.S. Lewis is talking about, mere Christianity. Jesus wasn't just a nice guy that gave you like fortune cookie type statements. He's either a lunatic, a liar, or he's Lord, right? That's like right. That, those are the three categories that you have to deal with when you deal with the, the teachings of Jesus. And let me be very clear. If Jesus isn't God, he can't die for your sins. That that's the whole that's the whole ball of wax that Jesus was a hundred percent God and a hundred percent man because I can't die for your sins, Scott. You can't die for my sins. Uh, only someone outside of our, us could actually deal with the problem inside of us. But then he has to then take on humanity to deal with our our brokenness and deal with our sin. That and if Jesus isn't God, he can't forgive you. If Jesus right. isn't God, he can't save you. And 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 let me be real clear. If you don't believe Jesus is God, you're not a Christian. Like Full stop. that's like that's right. 
that that's the whole thing. If Jesus isn't God, I'm wasting my time on Sunday. That's right. And it, and if Jesus isn't God, he can't raise from the dead. And if Jesus is still dead, Paul says we among uh, all people are the most pitied because we are absolutely being fools and wasting our time. Yeah. Question uh, statement number nine, the Holy Spirit is a force, but not a personal being. What no. in the George oh. Lucas? No, thank you. <laughs> No, That's, that is so, so, uh, um, strongly agree. Listen to this, Str- uh, uh, even, uh, non-evangelicals, just Americans, Americans as a whole, 33% strongly agree that the Holy spirit is not a personal being. Mm-hmm. Okay. What about evangelicals? 51%. More than half strongly agree. So 51 plus nine. So 60%. 60% of American evangelicals say the Holy Mm. Spirit is not a personal being. I can't. I can't. Six out of 10 people. Yes. Six out of 10 people. In an an average American evangelical church. You know, if you heard that big sigh on the mic, I apologize. Y'all, this this isn't okay. Right? For a lot of reasons. Regardless of what denomination you're in, we have things like, for example, the Apostles' Creed that has been a foundational doctrinal statement that Christians have confessed for 2,000 years. It goes back to the first century, and one of the things that it says is, we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life. Right. And so, and even the Nicene, Nicene Creed, which goes back to the third century, talks about the deity of the Holy Spirit. So, this isn't a Presbyterian criticism. This isn't a Reformed criticism. This isn't even a Calvinistic criticism. This is just basic Christianity the, that we don't exist in Star Wars. The Holy Spirit is not the force by which you are empowered to do things like a Jedi master. <laughs> He's God. And when, right. and when you when you question his deity, that's called blasphemy. And so right. it's if six out of ten are believing this about the Holy Spirit, then brothers, we've we've failed our people. So what what what's clear from this survey is that American evangelicals are sub, this is what you see in cults is they're subtracting from the Godhead right. right they're they're subtracting they're making God less than he actually is that's right but the other thing that we see that cults do is that they add to man right they mm-hmm. they add to man and so question statement number twelve asked true or false everyone sins a little but most people are good by nature. No, most people that, are good by nature. That's so, in Frank theology. That's exactly right. Uh, that's sixty-six um, percent of Americans uh, um, answered that yes, most people are good by nature. So you say, uh, well, of course, Christians recognize that that's not true. How did American evangelicals do on that question? And the answer is 57%. 57% either strongly agree or somewhat agree that people are good by nature. 
Again, the Bible says there's no one righteous, no, not one, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and that and that our righteousness is filthy rags, that our hearts are deceitfully wicked and desperately ill, that we're born sinners. Yeah, I, I call it Anne Frank theology for a reason. In the diary of Anne Frank, um, she she ends her her diary basically saying, at the end of the day, I believe that people are basically good. And we all get the warm and fuzzies and we think, oh, man, isn't that such a great story? Forgetting how the story ends for Anne. Anne right. was murdered by the Nazis. People aren't basically good. We are, we are sinners desperately in need of a savior. Um, but but here's the, the issue. If we don't know that we are sinners in need of a savior, then we aren't going to agree that we need salvation. We're going to think we're fine, that we don't have a problem, that we're okay. Then, yeah, we mess up every once in a while, but the air is human and we're, we're, we're okay. The, the problem is that'll, that'll lead you to hell. <laughs> and, and I don't want you to go to hell. I need Amen. you to know, I need you to know that, that you and I, Scott and, and everyone else are sinners in need of a savior. We're not basically yeah. good. Um, uh, statement number 15, we're jumping around here. Everyone is born innocent in the eyes of God. Um, when that question was asked of Americans, 53% strongly agree that everyone is born innocent. So we're, I'll, I'll, we're just going to look at just the strongly agree. 53% of Americans said everyone is born innocent in the eyes of God. Now, given that we believe in the doctrine of original sin, that we believe mm-hmm. that we're born guilty, that we're mm-hmm. conceived in sin, that we're born carrying Adam's sin, that we, we that we're that that he was our federal head and that he represented us in the garden, and so we fell with him in his first sin, as the Catechism That's right. says. That's right. Surely, surely, fewer evangelicals believe that everyone is born innocent in the eyes of God. Surely fewer uh, evangelicals hold the tabula rosa, that we are a blank slate when we are born. Uh, it Surely, right? 53% of Americans say that we're born innocent. Strongly agree with that. 61% of evangelicals believe that we are born innocent. So uh, just broad American, non-categorized Americans are closer to having an orthodox position on this question than people who identify as evangelicals. Mm. 61% uh, strongly agree and 4% somewhat uh, somewhat agree. So we're sort of like 65% of, uh, of evangelicals believe that people are born innocent in the eyes of God. And, and I would be, um, I would want a follow-up question here. I think Scott, I would want them to define what they understand innocence to be. I mean, on the, on the outlook, it it looks like you're, you're born completely innocent. Right. But we also describe babies this way. Sometimes aren't they precious? Aren't they innocent? Aren't they pure? And, and I know what people mean when they say that it's not helpful, but because I have a toddler and I can tell you otherwise, but like, um, like, I know what people mean when they say that. So I would want to press them on their definition of innocence. If I was in a conversation with somebody about this, but again, that's completely and utterly contrary to what the scripture teaches. 
teaches, which leads us into this next statement. Uh, which one were you going to look at next then? Cause I, I'm, Th- this I'm, one here that you have on the screen. Okay. I'm sorry. Yeah. Our, our, our listeners don't know that we're that's sharing right. the screen. The one yeah. that's on the screen next. Yeah. Statement number 17, the Bible is a hundred percent accurate in all that it teaches. Um, and, and this is what's really fascinating. Uh, uh, all, uh, 33% strongly agree that the, uh, of, of total respondents, uh, that the Bible is a hundred percent accurate in all that it teaches. And then you go down and you look at evangelicals and it says 88% agree that the Bible is 100% accurate in all that it teaches. And Gage, what that tells me is that the good news is that evangelicals believe the Bible is 100% accurate in all that it teaches. The bad news is they just don't know what it teaches. That's right. That's right. And, and, they, and again, they, that, is, that is an absolute failure by pastors. Uh, to not teach your people the Bible, to teach, you know, and I, I told, I had the privilege of of leading a Bible study with high schoolers at, at our, our classical school this morning. And one of the things I told them, I was like, guys, if a guy gets up with a microphone and he paces back and forth for 30 minutes to an hour talking to you, but he never opens up the Bible to tell you what the Bible has to say, leave the church. That's right. And because that this is what we're seeing. We're seeing, I'm, I'm, I believe the Bible is completely true. I just don't know what it what it says, and 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 here's the the crazy part. Um, I have friends who who also um, are a part of of Christian schools and and other things, and they'll do surveys, and in these surveys, to the people that are sending their kids to these Christian schools, um, when we talk, they talk about core values of the school. One of the things that the core values of the school have is we want to be biblically centered. Now you, now you would think, Scott, at a Christian school, that would be a duh statement, right? Right. Um, it's not. That we actually uh, have seen from friends that are that are part of Christian schools, parents actually say, no, I don't think the Christian school should be biblically centered. And it's because of stuff like this. I mean, it, it's it's crazy to me. This is crazy to me. Yeah. And so what what you have, if if evangelicals are saying that I believe the Bible is true and all that it teaches, and yet they don't know what the Bible teaches, is you kind of go, how do you how do you land there? And the answer is you land there because they're going to church and they're hearing sermons that are not communicating what the Bible teaches. They're told the Bible teaches, hey, the Bible is, is literally true in all that it teaches. The Bible is, a, is we're just not going to tell you what it says. We're just not going to tell you what it says. Um, uh, let's, right. look at, uh, let's look at statement number 22. Um, worshiping alone or with one's family is a valid replacement for regularly attending church. This is the old, I feel, more, I feel closer to God when I'm on the lake fishing than I do sitting in a in a church building right we've we all have had somebody say that um 35 of americans strongly agree that worshiping alone is at 35 and then 32 so we're looking at what 67 percent of americans agree with that statement um how where do where do evangelicals land on that? Well, 54%, 54% either strongly agree or somewhat agree that worshiping alone or with your family is a valid replacement for regularly attending church. Mm. Um, no. 
And this is, and part of this, honestly, is the the effect and the fallout of the pandemic, point blank period, right? It was a problem before that. Let's be real clear. It was yeah, a problem right. before that. The pandemic didn't create the problem, but it, it it added gasoline to the fire of I can watch church on a on a TV screen or on my phone or on an iPad, and I am a part of the church. Um, right. at, the problem with that is you can't do the one and others by yourself. And the scripture's real clear. Scripture even says, do not forsake the gathering together of yourselves. You can't bear in one another's burdens, love one another, confess sin to one another, um, care for one another, pray for one another, love one another by yourself on the couch. That that doesn't doesn't happen. Um, But also, the question then becomes, no one can actually press you on whether or not what you believe about Christianity is true, isolated in your home with just your family on the couch. Um, And so so what happens is then you think you are a Christian. You think you're a healthy Christian because I've, you know, you've raged against the machine and listen, I did it in my twenties, right? I absolutely had that sort of mentality of like, we're going to do it differently. And the institutional church is a problem and yada, yada, yada. You know um, the problem with that becomes that's the equivalent of, of me walking up to one of my elders, uh, Troy Kerber, who's a dentist. And being like, ah, I think I could do that. And and Troy's gonna go, oh, okay. You are you gonna go to dental school? Are you gonna learn from other dentists? Are you gonna learn new techniques? Are you gonna get licensed? Are you gonna gonna spend time getting certified? No, 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 no. I just I, I've watched a couple of YouTube videos, uh, Troy, and so I, I think that I could do this. And so I'm gonna gonna go buy this this shop uh, and open up a uh, Gage's Dentistry. Uh, and and I've got this because I mean I, I've 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 seen I've been to the dentist and I just don't, I think the way the dentists are right now is not helpful so I'm gonna go <laughs> go 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 yeah. go do it right uh, that that sounds absurd because it is absurd um, thinking that you can be a Christian without anybody pouring into your life ignoring all the one another's ignoring any any sense of accountability. Uh, it is a part of this issue, which gets into this this next statement, statement 24, Scott. Statement 24, every Christian has an obligation to join a local church. Um, I, as you might imagine, um, only 18% of you know the broad sample um, agree with that. And 49% of, of American evangelicals um, strongly agree, um, plus the 19%. So 49 and 19 is 68 68% of evangelicals believe that every Christian has an obligation to join a local church. What what I take away from this, though, is that they do believe that 68% believe you have an obligation to, to join, just not attend. Just, That's not, right. That's just right. not attend with any regularity. Yeah, your, your church membership is the equivalent of my membership at Planet Fitness. I have one. I have not been there in quite some time. Um, and, and, so, and so and some of it comes out of this this um, current deconstruction, right? And, yeah. and let me be real clear. Some people are deconstructing for because of real hurt, real pain, real spiritual abuse, and real experiences. And I want to acknowledge that, and I want to affirm that, that that actually happened. You actually felt that, and that was actually sinful and a problem. And they're going to have to answer to Jesus for how they 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 dealt with that situation, just like I'm going to have to be accountable to Jesus for how I cared about people. It talks about that in Hebrews 13. However, as I tell people all the time when we get into these conversations, if have you ever been to a restaurant, Scott, where the wait- waiter was bad or rude 
where the food was bad or made you yep. sick, uh, where the place was dirty, where the service was poor, where the management was, was inadequate. Did you stop eating, Scott? No. Right. Did you even stop going out to eat? No, you just didn't go there. That's right. That's right. Uh, even the book of Revelation, when it talks about the seven churches, it talks about churches that Satan is is sitting on the throne in, in one of them. One of them is dead. One of them is lukewarm, right? There, there are churches that are bad. That's just right. don't, you don't go there. That doesn't mean you stop right. going to church. That's exactly right, um, um, and we're we're gonna we're gonna wrap this up in just a moment. But uh, one of the one of the questions that is uh, pretty pressing for today is gender identity is a matter of choice. And forty two percent of Americans broadly um, said yes, it's a matter of choice. You you can pick your gender. Um, were Christians who believe who again overwhelmingly believe that uh that uh that the bible is uh uh well let's just say it this way do christians are they considerably better on that and the answer is no they're only five percent better 37 percent. so almost Mm -hmm. four out of ten evangelicals said 37 percent said that gender identity is a matter of Mm -hmm. choice um, that we can pick what gender we are. Um, and this, if you look, if you dig into this data, you can see that that those numbers have shifted in this direction um, sure. in the last few years. And that's obviously no surprise to anybody. Uh, we're going to uh, gauge, we're, we're running up on, on our, our time constraints, but one of the things that why did gauge and I want to talk about this? Well, one, because uh, friends, um, we're going to assume that if you are a, 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 one of our assurance of pardon listeners, that you you think theology matters, and that you you are digging in and looking at this in more detail, and that you you are like us bothered by some of these chilling uh, numbers. And so, one, we want to say, dig into this, look at it. These are your coworkers. These are people that may be in the church with you know where people are so that as you're talking to them, you have a sense of, of where people are. I can't, we can't really, um, this is an interesting roadmap of, of us as we think about what evangelism, what apologetics looks like. Uh, this gives us a snapshot of where our culture is. Uh, and we can you can dig into this and see has this college educated people versus non college educated people, married people versus un, uh, single people. Um, mm-hmm. The the data is really fascinating, and we're going to put a link to all of that. One of the reasons that we want to talk about this particularly is this is one of the reasons that Gage and I um, are always banging the drum about the importance of creeds and confessions. The, the Westminster Confession of Faith, if a person read and understood and believed the Westminster Confession of Faith, That's the right. London Baptist Confession, the Heidelberg Catechism, the Belgic mm-hmm. Confession, um, these are a wonderful check on these heretical views. You can't hold these views and the, the creeds and confessions 
at the same time. That's right. And so we want to gauge this Friday night. Um, our church is doing a, a men's gathering for the for the men in our church. We're going to have about twenty of us. We're going to get together for for dinner and fellowship. And as as I was thinking through of how can we best serve these men, um, are we going to maybe I go buy the newest shiniest um coolest men's curriculum out there um but what we what we're instead doing is we're giving every man in our church a hardback copy of the westminster confession of faith amen we're gonna say learn this study this read this uh every day dig into it look at the footnotes look at the 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 the, the scriptures that the westminster uh authors um are interacting with to come up with these answers and it is a way that we can know what we believe and why we believe it. And as we have moved away from churches, leaning in and teaching creeds and confessions as a way of helpfully summarizing what the Bible teaches, as we've as we've moved away from that, we have these we have these sort of statistics. This is why creeds and confessions matter. Well, and, and let me say this and 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 um piggybacking off of that uh looking at statement 27 here gender identity is a matter of choice i, I think about you know i was talking to the kids this morning and I've, I've made this point lately we had a couple of months ago whether you agree with 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 her or not like her or not whether or not that was your pick or not we had a few months back the first african-american female to get appointed to the Supreme Court justice, right? Uh, to get get appointed to the courts, um, and that was a significant thing for a lot of reasons. Historically, where we've been at a, as a country, the history of, of our our brothers and sisters of color's experience that was a significant thing. But we couldn't celebrate that. We couldn't celebrate just the 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 mile marker that that was because they asked her point blank what is a woman and for fear that she was going to get canceled she says i don't know i'm not a biologist so that now we have concentric circles not making any sense i need to push for women's rights and i need, I need to push for the advancement uh, of of females in leadership positions and we need to be better than way, the way we treated females in the past i need to uh, but I can't really acknowledge that because then I'd have to identify that she was a woman. Um, That's exactly I, right. I, I can't really celebrate that a person of color gets gets to the highest court in the land because then I have to not acknowledge that she's a black female. Um, and I can't do that for fear of getting canceled. Um, when you don't ground who you are in the scriptures, uh, you're forced to then look to the world and to yourself for the answers. And then that means you're predicated on feelings because the world's just going to give you more questions. Well, how do you know you're in the right body? Well, how do you know what it means to be happy? Well, how do you know what it means to be loved? Uh, and they're just going to ask more and more questions. They're not actually going to give you any answers at all. And so you're then forced to go inside yourself and you don't have any answers, which is why you're asking the question to begin with. But when you go to the text and you go to the confessions, you deal with question one of the shorter catechism. That the chief end, the, the the purpose that we were created for is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And you 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 learn that God created male 
and female after his image uh, to subdue the earth, be fruitful and multiply. You learn all beautiful things that it's, it's great to be a guy, that it's wonderful to be a woman, that these are celebrated things, that these, these two genders are um, unique and different, but equal. Uh, and they complement one another. And that the Lord has designed them in such a way to reflect his diversity and beauty. Uh, but we can't acknowledge that when we're so afraid of getting getting canceled or as if our words, as if my disagreement with you is doing violence. And now that's starting to creep into the church to where um, people don't even know who they are, are anymore. Um, and so, yes, please go to a church that preaches the Bible, that opens the, the text. And tells you what the text means. And if you're like, hey, I need help understanding the Bible, because, yeah, I'm in that 88% that believes it's true. I just don't know what it says. Hey, that's okay. No one expects you to, to know everything off the bat. So get a confession that actually gives you a doctrinal statement. Learn catechisms that are question and answer format that teach you what it is you believe and why it is you believe it. And then I would encourage you, not just to listen to Assurance of Pardon, but we are a part of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Uh, and if you go to reformedpodcast.com, you have a slew of resources of all sorts, different types of subjects that help you do the very thing we're doing here, teach you what the scripture actually says, help you actually look at the text and and ground your belief in where truth resides because truth is a person and his name is Jesus. Amen. Amen. So that's reform podcasts. That's podcast plural reformed podcasts, uh, com, And you can check out the five points, church planting podcast, distilling theology, uh, grace and peace radio, small town theologian, a number of, uh, great, uh, podcasts, uh, and that we're we're excited to be a part of that network. So, Gage, I think that's it. We've we went, ran a little longer than we normally did uh, normally do, but there's uh, there has been much to talk about. That's right. And if you have questions, you want to interact with the report, we will be sure and and post that link for you to view. Um, theology is best learned out loud. So reach out to us. Hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or you can email us at, a, at contacts at, a, at Assurance of Pardon, uh, or you can message us uh, through the website at assuranceofpardon.com. We want to interact with you. We're, we're okay if you disagree and you, and you, you want to want to debate about it. We're, we're down for that too. Um, and until next time, this is Assurance of Pardon. God bless.